So apparently you're supposed to stay inside the cage. I, I kind of thought it was like a swim with the dolphins oh. experience. and uh, Yeah, no, you shouldn't do that. Well, I know that now, but... You know, I, I nothing happened. Okay. I'm I'm good. Um, my buddy Larry, though, yeah. we now call him Lefty. Oh no! Really? Well, yeah. you know, well he should have probably read the uh, you know or read the sign. Oh wait a minute, hold on a second. We're rolling. All right, well then let's roll. I'm Rich and I'm Mark and we are two, two guys, guys on, on Block, Block Island. Island. What shall we do with the potato? What shall we do? Okay, so uh, I'm, I'm excited about this guest. I am too. Uh, from the Atlantic Shark Institute, we have with us John Dodd, who's going to talk all about uh, shark research and what goes on around Block Island and all over New England, I, I'd imagine. Yeah. So uh, then welcome to the, uh, to the podcast. Oh, thank you for having me. Looking forward to it. All right. Yeah. Uh, you know, sharks, since we live on an island, obviously, mm. we're surrounded by water. Uh, which means there's going to be some sharks out there. There are. Yeah. And, yep. you know, I th- I feel like people have sometimes maybe a, an unnatural fear of sharks. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's created by media, I think, a lot of it. A lot of it. Know? And, you know, I think the movie Jaws, I'm sure we'll talk about Jaws at some point. Sure. But, uh, we always do. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. why not? <laughs> so our first question we ask, usually ask most of our guests is, you know, how did you get to Block Island? But in this case, we'll ask you, um, how did you get into sharks? Where did this fascination with sharks begin? Uh, great question. Um, it probably started, uh, you know, Jaws is kind of the birthplace, a lot of these things for a lot of people. But for me, it was actually a little bit before that. Um, I had a place in Stonington, Connecticut. Uh, I was taking a ride with a friend in a boat, uh, came around Sandy Point in Stonington, just by Stonington Borough, and lo and behold, there's a shark fin on the surface just inside of uh, Sandy Point where you have that tower, you know, that kind of stone structure, and it ended up being a large blue shark, and um, I was 14 at the time, and uh, it got onto shore and thrashed and created quite a scene, and we ended up with the aquarium involved, and folks came over and ended up taking it because it was ill and it was front page news at the time because it was Stonington, of course. And, <laughs> not much uh, going on. Yeah. Not much going on. See the bake you sales know. and... Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And everyone wanted to know why this 10-foot blue shark, which ended up being 10 feet, why was it in our waters and why was it close to shore? And why was it at the beach where people were swimming and how dangerous was it? And, and of course, it became a big media event and a lot of questions and then people were coming around and talking about it and, and kind of away we went. So... Uh, Big event when I was 14, and then that dominoed into Frank Mundus out of Montauk, who, who, who others were based on, and, and away we went. Was it, is it true? He was the inspiration for Quint, I believe. Is that true? Good for you. Right? You've yeah, done some yeah. homework. Oh, yeah. yeah, oh, we wow. yeah. oh, yeah. You guys are on. All right, I'm going to have to be on my toes for this one. Yes, he is. Uh, okay. Captain Frank Mundus was the inspiration for Quint. Um, and if you knew Frank, or I, I knew Frank well. I helped oh, you him. did? I, I helped him write his last book a little bit. No kidding. And I actually owned his boat. Uh, the Cricket 2 when he passed. Yep, the world-famous Cricket 2. I owned it for five years. Um, and if you knew Frank and you knew the boat, it didn't take you long to say, ah, that's <laughs> that's, that's that's Quint. And Peter Benchley actually fished with Frank in the 60s. Wow. And then he wrote Jaws in the 70s. So uh, it was a sore point for Frank because he was never recognized by Benchley, unfortunately. He, he never was. No kidding. Can you talk about Frank a little bit and what kind of guy was he like? And, and what, you know, how close was he to Quint, you know? Very close to Quint. I mean, when you look at, um, you know, for instance, you know, Frank had his garage with the Jaws inside of it, you know, and then you look and there's Quint with his Jaws in his garage. And Frank couldn't extend his arm. 
you know, in in the movie, of course, it was because he lost an arm wrestling match. Yeah. But in real life, I think he had, uh, you know, an early bout with polio or he had some infliction, which is how he got to the shore because his family said, get to the shore back in those days. Yeah. Salt water will help you. The barrels, you know, from yeah. Frank's. You know, so if you look back at the pictures, there's the barrels on Frank's boats in the 60s. Um, you know, Amity Island. Well, that was really Frank caught his big shark in Amagansett. Oh. Long Island. I mean, if you literally go through the entire thing, Frank was cranky and ornery and called his customers idiots, and uh, <laughs> which, which we did funny. Hey, you're an idiot. This guy's an idiot. So he was all of Quint. Wow. And then if you look at the boats, too, the boats are identical. Frank's boat was the cricket, too, and it had the same shape and same design and all of those elements. So now, really unfortunate because it was very clear. You don't have to study it much to look and say, wow, he took... You know, he took everything. Yeah. He took a lot. And, uh, but no, Peter Benchley just said it was always a fictitious character. And, no and uh, you know, Frank, uh, I think, passed away over a decade ago, was kind of sore about that for a long time. Wow. Oh. And I think, I think I've seen a, it, there's a pretty famous picture of Frank, isn't it? Jumping from a boat onto a whale that is a flow, a dead whale carcass that's floating and is surrounded, which is being fed on by sharks. And, Frank, doesn't he jump onto the whale and he's just standing on it while he sharks? Is he that does. Right? Yeah, he does. And yeah. that's a great picture. He's out there with his bare feet. Yeah. And and the reason he didn't slip is because whales, uh, typically they die, they sink, and then they start to decompose, then they float again. So it came up and had a bunch of sand on it, which allowed Frank to get his footing. But you know what's interesting? It was on that day. Yeah. you know, And it's only, you know, that's the kind of guy he was, right? So he's yeah. running around on a whale with great whites like circling it. And uh, but what's interesting, it was on that day that he caught the largest shark ever caught on rod and reel. Uh, okay, is that the one that's stuffed? There's a restaurant in Montauk, mm-hmm. and I forget the name of it, but I th- believe that that mount is in that restaurant. I think close. That mount is a 4,500 pound white shark that Frank harpooned. Okay, he yeah. harpooned it. Yeah, and that was at Solovar's out in Montauk. That's the one. Yeah, and. Uh, that ended up being another, you know, Frank was a, I, I thought Frank was a great guy. He killed a lot of sharks and then he eventually turned to becoming a conservationist, which was good for the shark world. Oh, he did. And I, yes, he did at the end of his life. Yeah, he was a tagger. Um, and I think like Peter Benchley, as he got older and said, holy cow, what's happening here with all the tournaments and everybody killing sharks left and right? I think it, it dawned on him as well. Yeah. Um, but that shark was a 4,500 pounder that he harpooned. Uh, that went to Soul of Ours. I think he ended up, uh, you know, working a deal with that guy, and then the guy would, you know, said, "Hey, listen, it's 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 mine." You know, yeah, you get um, free French fries for the rest of your yeah, life. But yeah, but it's mine. Yeah. And uh, the, but the other one was a thirty four hundred twenty seven pound white shark on rod and reel. So that's the largest fish still ever caught on rod and reel. Wow. And um, and I actually have his necklace in a lot of those. Frank's always wearing a necklace with a shark tooth on it, with a, and it's um, pretty ornate, pretty fun. Uh, you can't really wear it anywhere, but uh, but I got that. Uh, I, I I own you know I have that at the house and wow. so forth. I talked to Frank a lot about that, and he said, "Geez, we'll see what what happens when I'm not around anymore." So that is really really cool. And how did you? Uh, so now the Atlantic Shark Institute. When did that come up about, and how did that happen? Well, you know the birthplace of it really starts, you know, kind of remarkably in the '80s because I tagged my first shark in the 1980s. So, and, and I'm a marine biologist. I, I have a marine biology degree from the University of Rhode Island. And um, so I started tagging sharks in the 80s. And uh, I ran a business with my brother Stephen for a couple of three decades, uh, educational funding. We had a few hundred employees. 
And I eventually sold that business, which allowed me to go back into this shark research thing full time. So I always wanted to be Jacques Cousteau. I always wanted to be a marine researcher. I love sharks. Um, got the degree, dabbled in it forever. But my brother and I started a business, ended up becoming successful. We worked at it. So on weekends and summers, and I'd always participate in these different research projects. And then uh, four or five years ago, kind of had the birth child for, okay, let's, let's, Let's formalize this. Let's turn it into an institute. Let's bring in really good people. Let's do work that's really important for sharks. Um, and I founded, you know, the, the Atlantic Shark Institute, and away we've gone. It's it's grown since the, you know, since then it's grown very rapidly. But it's really a testament to the good people I have around me. Yeah. Now, when when did Block Island come into your life? Was it pre Shark Institute, or did that sort of start to bring you out to Block Island? Had you visited before as a guest? As a oh tourist? yeah, yeah. I've oh. always loved Block Island. You know, I remember going there when I was young and renting bikes and and biking around Block Island and going with friends and on school trips. And then as I got older, with boats and you go out there and and stop in to fuel up or get some bait or go to the oar and get uh, what mudslides, frozen mudslides. You know, yep. yeah. And of course, if we did well, right, we'd be fishing, you know, tuna fishing, and say, okay, we're heading to the oar. You know, mudslides <laughs> for everybody. You know. Um, so, and, and we've stayed on Block Island a number of times and we've rented out there. And, um, so I've always, you know, for me, I've always loved Block Island. I actually, um, thought about Block Island with this research because in 2019, I was talking with uh, my friends over at the Rhode Island Department of Environmental Management that we do a lot of research with. And I said, Hey, we'd like to, to put uh, an acoustic receiver out there, a couple of acoustic receivers. And they said, well, lo and behold, we're about to deploy acoustic receivers ourselves for the first time. So in 2019, they entered the fray with acoustic receivers in Narragansett Bay, and I entered them around Block Island. So we've done this, and you know, we've done it in a collaborative way. And they were doing the DM was doing that to track shark uh, activity, or no? That's a great question. They actually were doing it trying to track initially sturgeon. Oh, yeah, okay. and because anything you tag with an acoustic tag. Um, as long as it's the same frequency, these acoustic receivers will pick it up. Oh. So even though this is our the, the Atlantic Shark Institute's shark array, an acoustic array for sharks, anything with a tag in it on that frequency, striped bass, tuna fish, a sturgeon, it'll pick up anything as long as it comes within range of these receivers. How, so, How do you determine the difference in what it's picking up? Is it a different pitch or a different tone or... That's a great question, and it's one that um, unfortunately has has led to some fairly restrictive kind of um, information. So, give you a quick story. So, um, let's say that the three of us decide we're going to fund a research project on striped bass. I do that all the time. Oh, there you go, perfect. And as you go out to fish, you might understand this. Right? I, re I research recipes. Oh, there. You <laughs> <laughs> so you go out, and let's say we tag a thousand striped bass over five years. Well, the way these systems used to work is you then upload all that tagging data and then somebody else owns 500 receivers and they can see where all these striped bass have gone, what they're doing. Well, guess what happens? They wrote a paper about striped bass migration and residency and density, but we did all the work. We went ah. out 500 times. We tagged all the, we paid for all the tags, which by the way, an acoustic tag is $400 for one. Whoa. So- Whoa. They did all the, so what happened is the folks that oversee these databases where we all upload our information to said, okay, this isn't going to work because the researchers in this case were irate in this example. So when we go out and we bring our laptop and we pull down data from a receiver, 
all we get is a bunch of, I'll describe them as social security numbers. Okay. So we actually do not know what we're detecting. But those social security numbers, those would be the specific tag for that specific fish that it's on. Exactly. So you would have to then go back and look up which number matches with it. And you'd say, oh, that's a striped bass, that's a sturgeon, that's a shark. Close. Okay. Yep. So you're right in that that is specific to that fish. Okay. Just like we have a social security number. The issue is there's no database to go back to, believe it or not. Really? I need to upload this data. And then what I do is it will tell me who the researcher is. Oh, so then I reach out to you and you say, oh, I'm happy to tell you what I've been doing and here's what I've been doing and here are my tag numbers and here's all the species I've been dealing with. And then I call someone else and they say, yeah, thanks for letting us know. And I say, hey, could you tell us? And they say, well, we really don't want to share that. Oh, boy. So is it still, that's still the case today? It's... That is still the case today. All so right. unfortunately, a chunk of these, the detec- you know, we call them detections. Yeah. Unfortunately, a chunk of these detections, we don't know what they are huh. because either people, we can't find them, they won't respond. And then there's a bunch that we do know. And as the system gets more widely used and people become more collaborative and they understand what we're doing, then they're more than happy to. Because, again, we have to pay for all these receivers. This is a lot of money for us. We have to deploy them. We have to make sure they don't move. We have to pull them out. There's a lot of money and time invested in this. Is this funded by uh, grants or how how does the, you know. Yeah, how how do you get money for this? We get money through the kindness of people that think that what we're doing is important. Okay. So um, what we do is I, I, on a personal level, I'll, uh, my wife and I will cut a check each year into the, we send it into the Institute for 25 grand. And then we have people- Of your own personal money. Of my own personal money. No kidding. Yep. That's passion. And then, um, and then what we do is we get people like Mike Flood from Flood Ford will send us a few grand and we had someone send us $5,000 to- um, uh, to name a shark after his wife, and and they are like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. really, yeah. that might actually be worth five grand, yeah. man. Yeah, that became uh, Mako Shark Joey, who we're now tracking. Joey, yeah, all over the place, and oh. she was like Jolyn or something. So Joey <laughs> now has Joey has its own website. So we've been tracking Joey now for for months and and months. So he's been wonderful, but yeah, you get people that are just they're passionate about it, yeah. and. Um, and they, they, they send us money and they send us a note and they tell us what they're doing and why they're doing it. And we get people that send money and then have matching funds from, from you know, people that they work with or yeah. companies they work for. So, okay. And then so, we use that pool of money to figure out, hey, how do we best spend it? All right. So if any of our listeners want to donate, send it to the Atlantic Shark Institute. Yeah, we'd love it. You know, we're, we're trying to do more on Block Island. We don't have any entities on Block Island yet. You know, we don't have any restaurants or any hotels. We have no no formal relationship with any entity at Block Island yet. We do put our acoustic receivers, the ones you see around Block Island, we allow people to sponsor them for $500 a season. Okay. And they basically, so then we say, hey... On the, I'll make it up. Hey, the Ballards, you know, we have a, a, you know, the receiver that's on the southwest corner is sponsored by Ballards, and we just detected a 13 foot white shark. And it came through last Tuesday. And guess what? This shark was tagged at this point at this place. And we saw it show up on a couple of additional receivers, one sponsored by Flood Ford, one sponsored by. Gotcha, gotcha. So that's how we try to thank people for their, you know, their their generosity. And I'm looking, uh, obviously our listeners can't see it. We're going to take some photos and post them on our social media. But I'm looking at a chart, a nautical chart of Block Island. And it shows the receivers that are around. And it looks uh, like there's six of them. One to the northwest uh, of North Point, one to the east of North Point, one right along Crescent Beach, one down off the southeast point, one down off southwest point, and then one down kind of to the southwest of the cut. 
uh, going to Great Salt Pond. And then there are three more looks. Uh, that's the Southwest Ledge, I believe. Oh, Southwest is that Ledge. They, that's, is that, I'm looking from a little bit of a distance. Yeah, we've here. got the Southwest Ledge here. And then we've got these are at the wind farm. Oh, the wind farm. We have three that are right around the wind farm. So it looks like there's 11 in total. Two of them are marked as new. Yeah, we, yeah, we decided to put one up. What's been happening is that um, we've been getting shark detections, right? We've actually got a shark detection on every one you see except the two on the east side here. Oh, great, which is where the beaches are, which is Crescent Beach. So th- let's put that out there right now. Let's reiterate that. The the shark <laughs> receiver uh, thing off of Crescent Beach has detected no sharks. No sharks. Very important for our, our visitors and, and locals alike. Well, I, I can assume, much like the fishermen who are looking for fish, it's a very barren area in that crescent beach it's shallow it's sandy bottom you know these other areas where they are a lot of lot of rock reefs and sandbars and drop-offs and i think that's where the sharks like to i think great point no that you're exactly right to hunt in the current yeah because if you think about it you're off crescent beach where you're hiding you know if you're a two foot if you're a two inch fish or two foot it doesn't matter what you are there's no place to hide here um and we also have never gotten one up in the north uh northeastern receiver as well okay. and so and again where everybody talk and i want to ask that question later but everybody seals are up there north light don't go i mean there's yeah. a lot of reason you shouldn't swim there but yeah, it's right. usually the rip from the, current, yeah, the rip current not because of sharks yeah we can talk about that sure at length but and that southwest and the west side i find my experience that the current really rips there it you know? does i mean you know it's and i believe it or not at my age i should have known this but i only learned this year that it's basically the outlet of um the long island sound emptying through that narrow and we're kind of at the mouth of it and it just because i you know yes. that, that that'll cruise like 15 knots out there it'll crank and you know we see that also at uh you know at the race on the other side of fisher's island new york same thing it's another pinch point that's why that yeah it's, it's considerable pinch point i like that yeah i like that i love yeah. learning a new word you know and and the thing yeah there you go <laughs> and it's one of those <laughs> things where as we deploy these receivers it's fun because we get to start seeing as you deploy more they call it fine scale movement right so broad scale movement large fine scale movement small so what's nice is as we keep adding receivers we're get to see like the shark we see it move from point a to point b to point c versus just seeing it once and wondering where it went and the reason we're putting this one in the north side here up at the north on the uh, northwestern side is we don't have any sharks so far we've had 20 some odd white sharks come through we don't have any that we've tracked that have gone north they all seem to go south of the island huh so we're not sure if that's really the case because we do have a number that we've got by the uh, Coast Guard station here on the west side, right up along the beach there. So we have detected several there that we don't see come around and trip any of the other receivers. So we're just wondering if they're missing the receivers on the south or the reason we're not seeing them is because they're not going south, they're going north. Gotcha. Which is why that's a new receiver for us, and that'll be going in on May 10th, and it should give us a sense of whether or not they're coming north or they just stay south. Okay, and you you may have mentioned this earlier, but... Now, are you mostly interested in great white sharks or all species? All species of shark. Yep. It's just that um, right now the white sharks tend to this. This seems to be in their in their pathway. This seems to be you know when they migrate north, uh, what we're finding is that this is a place that they stop over. What we have found is that we don't see any residency yet. So what we're getting is we get a white shark, you know, we'll get it at 2 a.m. and then we'll see it at 3 a.m. and then we'll see it somewhere at 4 a.m. and then it's gone. Okay. So we don't see 
you know, Ralph the shark on a Tuesday, a Wednesday, a Thursday, a Friday. They're not staying at Block Island. So, well, they can't afford it. It's very expensive. Yeah, very expensive. Block yeah. Island, yeah. Yeah, and eat, like mudslides, what, $14 right. I mean, or like, something? At so, least, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so by the time, you know, a couple of days and that's the end of their budget. But um, yeah, and what we're finding is they go up to Cape Cod. So they okay. come through. And that's why I think the two on the eastern side, I don't think they, they you know, they, I don't even think they're exploring that much, you okay. know, because we don't have any on the eastern side yet. So it's not like they circumnavigate block. You know, right. they go up yeah. one side and then back down or whatever, yeah. or up yeah. and past it, up and past. Right. So well, it could be to them like a little oasis with a possibility for a snack on the way. You on know? the way, yeah. you know, you yeah. kind of like a rest stop on the Jersey and... Turnpike, more or less. And yeah. the other thing is to note is that the white sharks we have been getting, with the exception of one that we tagged, the white sharks we have been getting are sub adults and adults, and they're actually on to seals at that point. Okay. So rather than chase around, you know, bluefish, which are very fast. Um, uh, they can go up and they can feed on a seal or two or 10 or however many they feed on over the summer. So they know where they're going and, yeah. and they get pretty, uh, pretty conditioned on, Hey, I'll swing, I'll poke around a little bit, but nothing here really that's going to keep me at block Island long enough for folks to get overly concerned about residency just yet. Gotcha. And you mentioned the Cape. They, they tend to hang out up there, but, uh, where, where is the, isn't it off of, is it somewhere off of Montauk where the, the, the real great white kind of hang out, as you said, where they kind of stay and is that where, where is that? Yeah. So we have found, um, there's, uh, juveniles, um, and there are young of the year. They call them YOYs, young of the year. Those are the newborns. And we have a spot uh, near Montauk that we are catching them on a consistent basis. Every time I went last summer, I caught one. Um, which is interesting because obviously these these large white sharks, these pregnant females, they want to give birth in places where their young has a high chance of surviving, right? They don't want to give birth to a three and a half foot white shark in the middle of the Atlantic because at three and a half feet and at pick a weight, you know, 20 pounds, pick a number, 25 pounds, there's very little chance that's going to survive because yeah. there's just too many large predators. But if they can give birth along the south side of Montauk and along the New York Bight, they call it, and those fish are staying in water that's anywhere from 25 to 80, 100 feet deep, and they're in there chasing fish and they don't have large predators coming in, gives them a chance to figure out how to live, fix, how, to, how to hunt, right? Um, and eventually as they grow, they find themselves moving into other areas. Okay. So when you say large predators, mm. what eats a 20 pound baby shark, another shark, another shark, that's yep. pretty much, that's pretty much. Yeah. They, they, you know, when you go offshore and these large tuna too, you know, these bluefin tuna, these, these yeah, the multi hunts, yeah, 500,000 pound tuna. There are wonderful photos and videos you'll see of them just hammering 15 pound bluefish. Wow. I mean, they're they're an aggressive predator. Yeah, those I'm. Yeah, yeah. I thought you were gonna say they would eat a shark. I'm like, no. Yeah, well, they'll eat the small ones. They, you know? Really, they will. Oh yeah, yep. no kidding. Yeah. yeah, they're they're opportunistic feeders as well. So it's one of those things where, for us, um, these spots become very important because if they are holding young of the year. And we need them to survive and we need them to grow. That's when you get into this whole, hey, what do things look like? Warm, you know, warming water temperatures. You know, what do these estuaries look like? You know, where are they trying to live, breed? I mean, live, grow, right. and get healthy. So when a baby shark is born, how long does it hang out with its mother for? Does it follow it around for like, uh, you know, a year, or yeah. a month, a week, like until it is, yeah. goes on its own? Uh, it follows it around for about 1.2 seconds. That's you, it. That's, that's it. it. Wow. <laughs> you're on your no. own. It's like you're old enough, kid. Yeah. <laughs> I bet you. Get yeah. a job. I've carried you long enough. Yeah. 
Yeah, how imagine long, that. How it's long? A, how long does it take from? It depends I'm, what it depends what species. You like know, a great white. There how are long 500 is Five hundred different sharks out there, but typically nine to twelve months. Oh, so somewhere. similar to humans. Yeah, and you know it's funny because. You know, um, a lot of times also there's there's chemicals and things going on in the bodies of these sharks where they suppress, you know, it suppresses their appetite. So when they give birth, because like blue sharks, they can give birth up to a hundred young and they are very small, you know, so they might be 12 inches long and they might weigh, you know, a pound. Well, you know, you don't want mom that suddenly looks around and says, wow, look at this. This is a smorgasbord and I'm real hungry. (laughs) Um, So it's interesting in that, yeah, these sharks born and that's why it's amazing. You see a great white. We caught a great white this summer. And uh, we caught several that were in the four-foot range. That's a newborn great white. What's amazing about it is if I took a picture of that white shark and there was no basis to determine size, you wouldn't know if it was four feet long or 15 feet long. Yeah. The teeth, the eyes, the whole thing. You look and say, wow, this is a perfect replica of a large great white. Wow. And the teeth are sharp as all get out and we're fishing for them and they're hitting large baits and live baits. And I mean, they come out and they're ready to roll. It's really, e- eating, it's super impressive. Eating machine. They only got one job and that's, that's it. it. Yeah. Well, two. And make baby, and make sharks. baby sharks. Yeah. <laughs> I was just going to say. Hey, <laughs> that's a way. quote. I've heard that somewhere. Yeah. Before, yes. you know? I've got a question before we get too far down because we talked about a shark named Joey. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What happens? And you said a Mako. Mm. So what's the etiquette and is it followed? Mako is obviously a delicious shark to eat. They are. So somebody catches a shark like Joey. No, I hope it doesn't happen. Joey, hang in there. Yeah. What do, what do you do? Do you report? Are you allowed to keep that? Or if it's a tagged shark, are you supposed to report it and turn it back, you know, loose? Yeah. Or, you know, I mean, because yep. being, being an edible shark, that's the one I would think that people nowadays, I think a lot more people shark fish and release. Yeah. So that is a significant problem. We had, uh, we, you know, there's a story here in Rhode Island where someone caught a tag shark, wasn't one of ours. Suddenly, you know, the beacon's still going and they tracked it literally to a house, <laughs> <laughs> like, to a freezer. Oh my you know? god! Oh no! Yeah, and uh, did and they not see the tag? How did they not? They did happens? apparently, but you know, it was a it was a mako, and they decided to take it, and I guess uh, didn't realize that the tag would still continue to operate. <laughs> so they tracked it back, got their tag back because they're expensive. Sure. Um, but to answer the question in today's world, first of all, good news for makos, good news, bad news. So makos are now protected. You can't touch a mako for the first time. Oh, when, when did, did that happen? Yeah, in the last that? couple of months. Oh, oh wow. Well, there's some breaking news. So they're off news. the list. Yeah, so they're off okay. the list. So, so a lot of charter guys are trying to figure out what to do because they say, hey, come on out, go shark fishing for the day. By the way, you catch a mako, we could take it as long as it meets the minimum size right. requirements. You catch a thresher, that's a good tasting shark. You can take it. Makos are now off the list. However... Um, yeah, unfortunately, uh, there's just people that look and say, hey, that, yeah, that's a tag shark. But like Joey, we let go. Joey was a very large, mature male mako. For people that fish, they look and say, wow, this is a catch of a lifetime right. for many people. Tag or no tag. They're taking it. They're taking it. So sometimes tags just stop. You know, they just disappear. Yeah. And, and um, you know. Could it have fallen off the shark? Yep. Could it have stopped functioning? Yes. Could somebody have taken the shark and cut the tag off and thrown it overboard to let it sink to the bottom? Yeah, they could do that yeah. too. Well, and, let's hope they're dumb enough to put it in their freezer. Yeah, so yeah exactly. Catch home. them. Yeah, yeah. take yeah. it home with you. Um, and are Mako and Thresher, are those the only two edible sharks? They are not, not, there aren't a lot that are. Well, believe it or not, you know, black tips, uh, great whites, you know. Really? They, yeah, they're part of the mackerel shark family, so they are in the same family as a Mako. 
So the, but those are obviously protected. They are obviously yeah, protected. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. back in the, you know, when they weren't, yeah, that was a good tasting shark and people would eat white shark as wow. well. Wow. Um, and but, unfortunately, country to country varies on how well we behave. That's a big problem, right? right? Huge problem. Because yep. this the oceans wrap the world and we can have rules and regulations, you know, out the yin yang, but. If another country is not going to, you know, follow along. Isn't, doesn't Iceland, isn't one of their delicacies, supposedly the most disgusting food in the world, a fermented shark that they bury in the ground. And then they, I guess it's the worst thing to eat ever it's in the world. Putrid. Yeah. Oh yeah. I know what you're talking about. I have no, no, no. And you don't, fact, I would assume you don't eat shark. I do not. No, no. Right, and not. it's one of those things you see it on a menu, and you you know it's kind of like, hey, you know, you don't want to. But if it's a server, you don't go through it. Right. But if you yeah. happen to know somebody gonna, knows the somebody yeah. who owns it, you say, hey, wait a second. But yeah, like the Greenland shark, they just you know they were doing some numbers on that. They think it's the oldest. They think it lives to four hundred years old. Wow. So Whoa. Picture that slow metabolism, cold slow water. metabolism, cold water, slow growing. Yeah. And and sharks are basically prehistoric. They're the megalodon wasn't that the first shark hundreds of millions hundreds of years of millions of years. yeah 450 million years old you look at there's a lot going on with these sharks and that's why there's still so it's very it's really amazing to me that so few things are still known or many things are still yet to be learned and also with the changing environment we're dealing with this these warming water temperatures right. even what you know is changing anyway Right, right. So there was a research project. Uh, Neil Hammerschlag is on our research advisory board. Dr. Neil Hammerschlag, he's down at the University of Miami. He just po- he, he just had a paper come out, and it was about tiger sharks. And what it showed is that their northern range in the last couple of few decades is now three 350 miles north of what it previously had been. So suddenly they are finding themselves comfortable in areas that were nowhere near where they were comfortable a few decades ago because of warming water temperatures. Sorry, when did that report come out? Uh, it came out about six weeks to eight weeks ago. Oh, okay, so it's recent. Oh, and, brand new. And yeah. prior to that, um, was there a big shift in, in migratory patterns uh, before the whole, before you know the climate quote-unquote crisis has really kind of happened, or have, have we noticed that changing in concordance with the climate change? Yeah, a lot of it changing in concordance. Because the, so a, it's a great question. I'll give you a couple examples. There are sharks like the blue shark, like the tiger shark. There's a bunch of sharks that are cold-blooded. They have no choice but to be in water that they really prefer and that they function well in. Right. Okay. So uh, they are restricted by their environment. So a blue shark that really functions well, or tiger shark loves warm water. So a tiger shark can't say, "Hey, I think I'll swim up to New England in February." Can't happen. Won't happen. They literally won't function. They'll probably die. You know, they'll they'll probably freeze to death. Yep. Um, cold shock, they call it. So these sharks are kind of stuck with where they want to be and what makes them comfortable. So, uh, but however, there are sharks like the mako shark actually can raise its body temperature. One of the few sharks oh, wow. that, yeah, that can. Problem is, it takes a lot of energy. So, how much energy do they want to spill trying to raise their body temperature <laughs> yeah, because yeah. the water's so cold? Right. Well, you know, it gets a little chilly. They might do it and then they're eating well, et cetera. But eventually the equation doesn't work. The amount of energy they're using to heat their body is just not going to work. They have to eat too much and they find themselves in waters that they function well at. Mako shark loves 63-degree water for some reason, so they can find that in the water column in different places. But, yeah, this is a serious issue because, you know, suddenly you've got tiger sharks that are in areas that aren't protected, where, of course, some of the protections were designed around where they were. Right. Well, now they're north of those protections. In addition, you have human-shark interactions because tiger sharks love the shore. 
They love to cruise. You know, so yeah. there's a lot that goes into it. So I say, hey, we've learned all about the tiger shark. Yeah, you did. But now they're 350 miles north of where they were. By the way, they're hitting local fish populations. They're competing with other fish that didn't have to compete with them before. And suddenly the entire Well, cycle- that's it. It throws off the balance of things. And, you know, if all of a sudden you got this new pre- – it's like introducing a northern pike to a pond that's never had one in freshwater. And, Perfect example. You know, that pike can wreak havoc in – Live large for a while. Oh, yeah. The buffet is <laughs> Until open. Until that pond is, you know, let me say, where'd yeah. all the fish go? And suddenly the, the, the pike is 80 pounds instead of 20. <laughs> that, now, can the water get too warm for them, too? So, in other words, are they being pushed out? Is the is the whole sort of, I don't know, I'm trying to do it with my hands, but like the yeah. zone, is the whole zone moving? Or is it just opening more area where they can be and survive? Really good question. And I'm going to give you a, a really good answer to that. All so, right. <laughs> so, California... Um, study came out in the last uh, few months. So California was having a problem with sea otters. Northern California was showing up dead in large numbers. They'd never seen it before. And uh, sea otter, you know, the, the fur on a sea otter, I think they say it's the most dense in the world on any animal, like a million hairs per inch or something ludicrous. So something's killing these sea otters, um, but they're not. it's not consuming them. And they're trying to figure out what's going on. Um, the second issue they have is that the kelp beds are starting to disappear and the kelp's starting to float around. And the kelp beds, you know, retain a ton of carbon. Great for us because it keeps it from going into the atmosphere. In addition, those kelp beds are great places for all sorts of creatures to hide and not get eaten, right? So with these kelp beds disappearing, um, problem, and suddenly these sea otters. So guess what they've determined because they tag so much out there. The warming water temperatures pushed a bunch of these young-of-the-year juvenile white sharks much further north than they typically would. However, the cold water didn't move. The cold water came down, kind of created a wall. So it condensed a bunch of things, creatures, sea creatures, animals, into a smaller space. What happened was these white sharks are learning how to eat. They're hitting these sea otters, but then they don't eat them. Problem is the sea otters would eat the sea urchins in huge numbers, and the sea urchins are the ones that are tearing apart the sea, the, the, the kelp and the, and the beds because they love to feed on Domino effect. the roots. Yeah. So right. suddenly they say, well, isn't this fascinating? We're, using, we're losing a ton of kelp beds because there's too many sea urchins. There's too many sea urchins because the sea otters are getting killed. And there's too many sea otters getting killed because now we have juvenile white sharks that look at it and say, hey, I'm going to practice because I'm going to hit seals someday. And away you go. So there's a perfect example of warming water that hit a cold wall and suddenly is wreaking havoc on an environment that is that is cascading and it's and it's becoming a bit of an issue to say the least. So does the are these sea I mean are these uh, sea otter kills are they more like a reactive kill like a like you know sometimes when I'm fishing you know you're obviously they're reacting you know they may not be hungry but they'll hit something just because it's yep. like you you just use the word practice so but they don't eat them they don't. They don't. They can't digest them, or are they just not hungry? Apparently, or? they bite them and then say, hey, there's something that doesn't work there. I've been feeding on fish my whole life, and, and I thought that might be something that was attackable. Oh, yep. They hit it, and then for some reason, they say, wow, that doesn't work. It doesn't taste. It doesn't feel with all the fur, and that's why they end up finding them floating and in different places in harbors and along the seashore and out, and, and that's why they said, what is going on? And, of course, they've looked at it close enough now to say, hey, these are consistent with, and these are these are young white sharks that are that are hitting these things and had no idea how it would domino and affect the rest of the 
ecosystem. Wow. I've sampled a few things when I was too drunk and realized it wasn't a good idea. To yeah, <laughs> I've done the same thing. Like the usually. box at the food. Co- oh, there was there was cardboard under that pizza. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, the, or the mystery <laughs> bottle on the bar. That's hey, like, yeah, know, I'll have one of those. Whatever. It's, yeah. You know, twelve fifty five. Ends up being the spit bottle for somebody <laughs> yeah, else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. God, we oh, have stories. Not a good, not a good move. So uh, we have to take a quick break, John, and we're going to uh, hear from our sponsors, and then we're going to come right back and uh, talk more sharks. Gosh, Rich, it must be really nice to own a house on Block Island. Uh, it, you know what? I feel so blessed and lucky, but you know, maybe you'll get one soon. Hey, you never know, but I'll tell you what. When I'm ready to shop for a house, I am going straight to Lila Delman Compass. A good call. Yeah, Compass is the number one independent brokerage in the entire United States. You know, Lila Delman Compass here on Block Island, they're the leader in Rhode Island's luxury real estate. They were the number one firm on Block Island in 2021. Yeah, and uh, their sales manager, Rosemary Tobin, she's the island's top producing agent with more than double the sales volume of her closest competitor last year. Well, you know what? If you look, too, at the numbers for Block Island and compare 2022 to 2021, the first quarters, there's been a 21% increase in the average sales price. And the and as far as the market goes, there's been a 42% decrease in the days on the market. So things are moving for yeah, good money. You know, it's, it's a real hot. interesting time in the market. So, you know, look, whether you're looking to buy, sell, or rent, Lila Delman Compass can assist you with any of your real estate needs from the island to the mainland to across the country. Yeah, they're they're... They're the best, I think. And, uh, you know, you, you like I said, right, rent, buy, get yourself yeah. out here, you know. Maybe, All right. Maybe rent to look around to buy. That's I'm gonna the start, way to go. I'm going to start saving my pennies. Hey, Rich, I feel like I need some exercise. Let's go run the Block Island Triathlon. Um, I'm more into low impact. How about a gentle paddle? Oh, sure. Well, we could go explore the Great Salt Pond on a kayak or paddleboard from Ford Island Kayaks. Yeah, they and you know they have the Hobie pedal boards, too. You ever try one of those out? It's like a bike on water. I've heard about that. They've also got the Peekaboo Glass Bottom Kayak. Yeah, and you can rent all their stuff by the hour, or half day, full day, or even a whole week. If you're going to stay for a week, you can reserve a, a kayak for a week. Yeah, but you know what? You you might want to make a reservation if your group is six or more. That's a hot tip for you. Well, that's a good tip. I like it. So uh, basically, you go explore the Great Salt Pond. It's got hidden coves. There's the oyster farms out there, the marinas. Andy's Way is great, you know? Yeah, it's super cool. And it's operated by, and it's located adjacent to our friends at the BI Fishworks place. Oh, nice. All right. Well, you can hear everything we just talked about and more if you go to the BIFishworks.com, or you can give them a call at 401 466 Nine two. You know what my favorite thing to do on a paddleboard is? What's that? I like to bring a sandwich with me and paddle out to Andy's way and just kind of camp out there and eat my sandwich. It's like finding your own private spot. I just try to not get sand in my sandwich. Well, better in your sandwich than your shorts. That's my motto. Yeah, good point. Hey, Rich, do these bell bottoms make me look fat? Bell bottom. Oh, wait. It must be Monday, and you're going to disco night at Captain Nick's. Well, yeah, of course I'm going to disco night at Captain Nick's. I'm the DJ, man. I got to be there. <laughs> that place is so much fun. So much fun. And the fun doesn't end after Monday, because on Tuesday and Wednesdays, we have dueling pianos, followed by Dr. Wes Chesterson's sloppy seconds. What are sloppy seconds? Well, that's when I play the piano for the rest of the drunk people there at the end of the night. Oh, that sounds fun in itself. And Thursdays, they've got live acoustic acts and full bands and DJs. Yeah. And Friday and Saturday afternoons, we have acoustic 
acoustic acts on the deck at 530. Uh, Fridays are Delaney, and then Saturdays are buddy Rob Davis. And then Friday and Saturday nights, they've got the best live bands on Block Island, like Derek and the Fun Bags, the Blushing Brides, Fever, Neil and the Vipers, West End Blend, and the High and Mighty Brass Band, just to name a few. Yeah, and uh, the bands aren't over just because Friday and Saturday night ends. On Sunday afternoons, the Young Guns take the stage on the deck at 530. Sunday fun day, and what if you're hungry? They got food, right? Yeah, for sure. All right, so they've serving food out of the Captain Galley seven days a week, including some late night grub. So, you know, if you're hungry, stop in late night and grab a bite. Yeah, and if you want to check out the full entertainment schedule, let's just head over to CaptainNick'sBI.com. Hey, Mark, you want to go grab a bite? Yeah, I'm starving. All right, where should we go? Uh, well, I kind of want to go somewhere where I can look at the ocean while I eat. So uh, how about the beachhead? Ah, uh, sounds good to me. They're right across the ocean. Yeah, so, yeah. right on Crescent Beach. Great local hangout, you know? And you know what I love about the beachhead is it forever. Remember, it was always the local hangout spot. Yeah, and if you don't want to sit outside overlooking the water, it's great people watching from the bar. You get to watch all the cars and bikes going by. Totally, because the bar is right there, and in the big windows, you're looking out right onto the beach. It's yeah, amazing. just sit there, drink one of their famous mudslides or a signature Bloody Mary. I mean, they got so many good drinks. So many good drinks. Oh, and you know what else is great? Is that they serve fresh, locally caught fish, and they have fantastic lobster rolls. Yeah, hot or cold. Which one do you like? Oh, one of each. Yeah, me you know, too. I'm that's down. That's the answer to that. But wait, maybe we should wait until 3 o'clock. All right. Because they do buck shuck every Monday through Friday from 3 to 4, and it's a dollar oysters. Well, I'm down for that. So, you know, what if we get a whole bunch of people want to come with us? Hey, no problem. Problem. They got lots of space and they have a special events area in the back. It's reserved for weddings, rehearsal dinners, uh, anniversary parties, whatever. Wow. Well, it's settled then. I'm ready to go to the beachhead. How about you? Yeah. Check out their website at beachheadbi.com. Okay. We're back with John Dodd of the Atlantic Shark Institute. John, we were talking about uh, sharks attacking seals and figuring out or, or otters and figuring out that that wasn't what they wanted. Um, can we talk a little bit about when sharks do actually attack humans? Like, you know, they'll mistake, I think, surfboards for a shark, right? That's why surfers are always wary of sharks. Um, first of all, is that the case? And and second of all, what what are the, the main species of sharks that I'm not going to say we have to worry about being attacked by, but I'm yep. going to say what are the ones most likely to attack? Yeah, so I would describe it this way. Um, every now and again, a shark makes a mistake, that's what really kind of it comes down to because when we do this research, what we figured out and what you realize is that there are a lot more sharks swimming in our waters than we ever imagined. You know, mm-hmm. there aren't more makos. There's less makos. You know, that you, you so so you look around and you say to yourself, "Wow, there's a this summer there was a thresher shark on the beach in Narragansett, and everyone's going crazy and get everybody out of the water." Well, a thresher shark's never bitten anybody, never mind killed anyone. Um, but it makes for it's 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 great. It's exciting. People get to see it. You get to see what's going on. But at the end of the day, these are sharks are really just, they make a mistake. It's typically dawn, right? Lower light, it's dusk. Um, there's a lot of times there's feeding fish in the area and they're darting through and suddenly grab somebody's ankle. Um, you know, might be shiny jewelry, you know. Um, so that's true. I have heard shiny things attract. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, yeah, because you know what's great is they have the international shark attack file and you can go through all these attacks and everything is listed, right? What the bathing suit color was, you know, what time they swam, how many people like swimming alone, not good, swimming in a group better, Okay. you know, um, and that's why these surfers, particularly because they look like when you look underneath and you're underwater, they look like a seal, right? Because yeah. they're on it, it's pointing in the front and they've got four appendages sticking out, two arms, two legs. 
that poor woman who died a couple of summers ago in, in Maine, you know, she was out there swimming around in her scuba suit cause it was cold and she's right. dark and she's up there and her daughter's with her. Um, and they're all tragic, you know, it's just that. So when you think about like at block Island, we have detected closing in on 30 white sharks in just a couple of seasons, right? What's really impressive about that is that a very small percentage of white sharks are tagged. We're only detecting the ones that have an acoustic tag. Right, 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 right. So if we're detecting 30 in the last couple of few years, how many really came through? Because Probably hundreds. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Because we're not, you know, Greg Skomel is doing all this tagging work in Cape Cod. Dr. Greg Skomel, he's on my research advisory board. Great guy. We went to URI together. He's tagged about 300 sharks. So when we're detecting them, we're detecting them through people like Greg who's tagged them, we've tagged them, et cetera. But he's about to come out with a number. I don't know what it is, but I can bet your bottom dollar we haven't tagged 10% of white sharks. Wow. So if we've detected 30 and we haven't 10%, you know. Drive my math nuts do, there. Do, do, you, do, do the numbers. <laughs> How many came through Block Island and no one has been touched? Okay. Hey, so, it's like nobody has a mouse. <laughs> yeah. What's that? Nobody has a mouse. Oh, right. If yeah, you yeah, spot yeah. a mouse, there's yeah. four or five running around your house. Exactly. And, you yeah. know, by the time you see one. Just, yep. uh, just but to, going back to your question, okay. the top three. Yeah. Uh, Great white is numero uno. Yep. Uh, we've got the tiger shark. Yep. And then we've got the bull shark. The bull shark. Yeah. Uh, do we have, uh, I think you said tiger sharks are not around us. Warm water? Uh, warm water, but they'll come up here in the summertime. They will. We, we, uh, people will catch them. They'll get them. We'll tag some. Okay. Uh, but they're usually offshore. Uh, but again, Gulf, they, Gulf Stream. Yeah, they, they, are, they are on the front edge. You know, they are on the leading edge of this water temperature issue. Gotcha. So they're, but this is, you know, you know they, don't, they don't like to go much further. And there's bull sharks. We don't run into bull sharks often those. at all. They're a little scary because they, they like brackish water so that you can find them in rivers and places oh. where they can actually get up a river and, and wreak some havoc. Uh, and they think that was that big thing in 1916 at Manasquan Inlet down in New Jersey. New Jersey, think, yeah. What's this? I haven't heard of this. Oh, it's 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 um it's a great part. It's actually also part of the Peter Benchley story because this shark was in an area and wouldn't leave. And right. but it's um it was an inlet, and if you go to it today, you'd say, how can anything swim up this inlet? But it was uh, multiple shark attacks. It started off on the coast in New Jersey. A couple of people got bit, and then suddenly in this Manasquan, this little inlet. Um, a shark went in there and, and ended up, uh, kids were swimming and suddenly someone got taken under and said, what is this? And other kids, somebody else jumped in and they got bit and the shark wreaked havoc in this little inlet, Manasquan in New Jersey, and eventually got out and, uh, really conflicting stories on, Hey, a great white was caught not long thereafter. And someone said there were human reins in it. Someone said there wasn't. And then a bull shark was caught. And, you know, so there's a lot of conflicting information, but what wasn't, you know, what well, was you mentioned Peter Benchley. So it's, it sounds a little bit like jaws in that sense where it's like, Oh, you know, remember they go out and they catch the tiger shark and they yeah. cut it open and there's yeah, nothing. And, and it, but it was that, Hey, there's a shark that won't leave. You know, there's right. a, there's a shark menacing. It found know. it's So that supposedly was another seed for the, for, for the, the jaws story. Wow. But yeah, those are the three big ones, you know, great white, okay. Bull shark and, and tiger shark. Follow up question to that: You mentioned uh, back the data that you know you can track shark attacks, and they have yeah. what? Do you know offhand what color was that bathing suit? Because I actually need a new bathing suit this summer, <laughs> yeah. and I'd like to buy the one. Uh, that's yellow least... is uh, something to stay away from. Okay, so yeah, what's so, okay? Yeah. No yellow bathing. That, suit. Got, that got the nickname Yum Yum Yellow. Yum Yum <laughs> Yellow. <laughs> yum, yum, yum. All right, so you heard it right here. But again, uh, then there's studies that say hey, they don't see color. So you know, it's just yeah. one of those things. But you just don't know if it's just hey, guess what? A lot of people buy. 
buy yellow bathing suits. But, <laughs> well. but yeah, that's the International talk Shark Attack file, and there's a lot of data in there. You can't, you know, people, it's it's not all accessible, but that it's managed by a university and uh, uh, yeah. a lot of data there. I'll tell you what I'm not doing. I was going to bling. Banana boat? I was, I was going to bling my uh, wetsuit, you know, with some bedazzles. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think I'm, I'm not, I'm going to look like a big diamond jig out there. Yeah. You know? I mean, um, I think we'll all thank you anyways for not doing that. But, well, you know, yeah, most know. people thank me for just not wearing a wetsuit because <laughs> it has a look. <laughs> it's a look. All right. Man. Put a pattern yeah. on it. Draw circles Ooh. on it. You know, break up that silhouette. You yeah, know? Okay. yeah. Probably not a bad idea. Oh, That's a good go. idea. Yeah, okay. Circles, squares, diamonds, something. Yeah, all right. you know? mm. Not not sparkly, though. Not sparkles. No, no sparkly bathing suits. No, okay. you got to stay away from that. But it is interesting because as we're detecting these sharks, you know, we're going to know the number eventually. Greg's going to come out with a study, Megan Winton, and they're going to tell us, hey, guess what? We think the population of white sharks in the western North Atlantic is 10,000 white sharks or whatever the number is. We're going to be able to back in and say, okay, we've tagged 3%. So then you look and say, okay, well, if we've got 30 and it's only 3% of a number, then 1,000 sharks have come through Block Island and, and, and no one's been touched. You know, yeah. and, it's probably, and it's been going on for thousands and thousands of years. Doesn't mean it, you can't have a problem. Doesn't mean well, someone yeah. can't make a mistake. It just means that, hey, guess what? They, they know what's what, and they know what to bite and what not to bite. And every now and again, one of them makes a mistake. I mean, people make mistakes driving cars, too. You yeah. know what I mean? It's, it's, you know, it's no more... And dangerous. Mopeds. Yeah, well, of course. That's a well, that's a big r- Block r- Island thing. I, you know. it's, a, it's a bit of a thing. <laughs> yeah, we just I only do bikes at Block Island. I'm well, not, I don't want to get into we that. We just you know? joke yeah. around about yeah. it. You we know. get hit with an we apple or something. Driving, but but ultimately, if you get grabbed by a shark, chances are you're the sea otter. You know, just Pretty much. something made it want to grab you and check you out. And, you know, because you hear the shark bites, but you don't hear about getting eaten. Yeah, because you know what? They bite. You think about these seals, right? And by the way, these seals, you know, they can be up to 900 pounds. They have two-inch claws. I mean, this is not an easy This is not an easy fight, which is why you see these white sharks with all sorts of scarring and everything on them. They, these become battles based on the size of them. So you look at it, and sure, they bite into a person, which must be horrendous if you're the person, but they bite in, and suddenly instead of this blubber, this rich blubber with nutrients, and suddenly it's Crunch, 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 you know, it's bones and it, and it, it it's got to be as, you know, surprising to this, to the shark as it is terrifying to the person. Another reason for me to lose some weight. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I want to have a little more. Oh, you lost a lot of weight. Well, I want to be a little more bony for the, when I do get bit by a shark. Boy, you've got a like, long list of things after no sequenced swimsuits, it's lose some weight. Going, yeah, you know, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll give you some notes when I leave. But it's interesting you note that because. This past summer, September, Elizabeth Beisel, she swam to Black Island. Um, yes. And she was the first woman to do that. She's, a, she's an Olympian here in Rhode Island, Olympic yep, medalist yep, yep. here in Rhode Island. And they asked me to go on one of the boats, um, the, the main boat, for sharks, just to see if we had any issues or anything ran into any sharks. And it was fine and dandy. And then she got to you know, the North Rip and came through there. And greeting us were dozens of seals, oh, gray yeah, seals. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I was like... Son of a gun, you know. <laughs> Don't tell me, you know. <laughs> yeah. After all of this, yeah. you know, we're going to end up with a with a seal shark, you know, Elizabeth Beisel interaction. It worked well, out know. fine. She hit the beach. Everyone cheered. It was a wonderful thing. Her father passed away, unfortunately, due to cancer. So this was block cancer, and uh, it ended up being a wonderful event. But yeah, when she got there, because of course they say seals in the water, you get out of the water, mm-hmm. and she had to swim through them to get to shore to be welcomed by her mother and a, and a number of people that were there to greet her. Wow. So. And what is the actual, like, you know, what are your odds of a shark attack happening? One in a million, one in, you know, 20,000, one in two billion, any? 
Yeah, the the numbers are in the hundreds of millions. You know, one in two hundred and fifty million that's, somewhere. That's that's your the, you know the odds. The odds actually, yeah, yeah, because yeah. you look and you say, hey, listen, you know, there's five six people are killed you know worldwide by sharks every year, and you start extrapolating out how many people go in the water, and, right, you know, right, yeah, all those right. kind of things. So, yeah. um, you know, I I think there's a lot more dangerous day to day activities that you, you know, could get hit by a car or. You know, people fly. There's so many things you're doing that have a much higher odds of you. Yeah, I've seen it. And there was an a funny ad I saw hurt. once, and it had the the shark music, uh, the Jaws music in the background. You know, <laughs> and it was dun dun dun, and it was a toaster. Yeah, nine hundred eight, nine hundred people a, a year, eight or nine hundred die because of toaster electrocution in some of these. Really? Things. Yeah, because I guess I guess <laughs> Who's what? Still sticking forks and toast. I know. I know. We figured that out. <laughs> While you're standing in a five gallon bucket of water. Yeah. Let me get yeah. that English muffin out of the back there. It's too valuable. I'm going in with my knife. I, I'm not gonna. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So so. There you go. So that's eight or nine hundred a year versus six people yeah. with sharks. Who wants to wow. waste ten seconds unplugging it? Who cares? Yeah, I mean, you know, it just <laughs> takes way too much time. Did you? Um, was there? Did you do any videoing on any of these? Like, I heard did some baiting. Is this true? We did. So uh, what we did, we call it uh, BRUVS. It's an acronym for Baited Remote Underwater Viewing System, and a BRUV is a um, it's a it's a triangle. We drop it to the bottom. Um, and we have bait that we put in it, usually mackerel cut up. There's a rope to the surface to a buoy, and we have a GoPro cameras attached to the device. And uh, what it does is, depending upon the tide we catch location, um, it'll take that bait plume, that scent plume, and it'll send it through the water column. So if the tide's going out, it'll take it out, and if the tide's coming in. Um, and what it does is it attracts everything in its brother because if we do it right, and here come to talk and here come blackfish and here come sea bass and, and all that yeah. everything everything and its brother shows up a lot of uh, dogfish sharks uh, i had a beautiful video of a cow nose ray at block island gorgeous video that's on our instagram and facebook pages um really what, uh, how do we find you on instagram quickly what is the your um, tag off the top of your head it's atlantic shark Okay, so just we'll yeah. find you. Yeah. Okay. Atlantic cool. Atlantic Shark. Um, we'll follow you. He has yeah, that same face go. I have all the time. I should know this. Yeah. What is that? <laughs> I don't know. What's Instagram again? Uh, Atlantic yeah. Shark Institute. Uh, I'll ask my thirteen-year-old nephew. <laughs> yeah, yeah he'll that's know. how we find stuff. Yeah, my daughter Sophie's like my go-to. Sophie. Yeah. You know. Help me. Don't they Help. love it? At they're getting to the age too where they're like, oh, geez, another iPad question. Here we go. So oh. it's it's in addition to the chopped up macro maybe attracting sharks, it actually creates an entire little mini ecosystem temporarily by the camera. It does. That's what it does. And we're reviewing that data. Now, what's neat about that is you can imagine um, if we've tagged so few animals in the ocean, then then how do we know what else is down there? And that's where we came up with bruvs. So now we'll go off. We'll drop it down. We got 35 hours of video this summer. You do it for an hour at a time. So you do it an hour and five minutes. That's the that's the, the you know, the process because you do about five minutes to settle. Right sediment, and then you get an hour. So that's kind of the study, um, and then you have to go through all those, and you have to identify what fish come into view, how many came into view, the max number in any view. So there's a variety of things you do to make it, uh, you know, a real study. Yeah. So we actually deployed those this past summer at the Block Island Wind Farm, mm-hmm. and we de- deployed them at the Southwest Ledge. And we'd go out and we'd do three hours on each. So we have three bruvs. We drop them down, bring them back in, bring the video in. And we're through, uh, almost done reviewing that now, and then we'll release data on that. Um, wow. That's pretty cool. So it's very cool. Have yeah. Your uh, your passion for sharks has it, Are you 
mostly interested, obviously you live here, you're from New England, um, but have you been around the world and looking for other kinds of sharks just for your own, just for kicks? Yeah, sure. So um, actually, uh, what is uh, today? In a couple of days, I'll be on a flight. We're going down to South Carolina because we are at Hilton Head and we've been catching great whites down there over the winter. So when they leave here, the you know basically subadults and adults love the Carolinas and the, and Hilton Head area in particular. Correct, because big golfers I hear. That's yeah, huge too. golfers. Like you know, these, yeah. Yeah, these, these yeah. white sharks. Yeah. Uh, you just have to be careful with your money. Right. You yeah. Just, you get on the wrong side. <laughs> yeah, of they'll play like four or five hundred bucks a hole. <laughs> yeah. <that's Yep>. <laughs> and <laughs> what's interesting is where we tag up here. You can do a little different tagging down there. We can capture them next to the boat instead of putting an acoustic tag in them. That'll last. By the way, those tags will last about ten years. And if they get within six hundred yards of an acoustic receiver, it'll pick them up and do they have a are they battery powered they are so that's why the battery lasts almost 10 years wow believe it or not um down there we can put an acoustic in them but we can also put a spot tag in spot tag is where you put it into the dorsal fin attach it to the dorsal it's got a little wire coming off of it and every time they break the surface boom it'll go to the satellite and we'll know where they are so what's neat about that is the acoustic tag We'll trip them every time they come within definitely 600 yards up to 1,000 yards of a receiver. But if we tag a shark that goes into the middle of the Atlantic, we may never know about it again because there's no receivers there. But if we put a spot tag in it, every time it breaks the surface, bingo, we know where it is. So I'll be going down there on Sunday, Greg Skomel, Megan Winton. Uh, Greg is from Mass and Megan is from the Conservancy. And we're going to get down there for four or five days, fish, and see if we can get some tags, some tissue samples, some blood samples. And also some PSAT tags. You put a PSAT tag in it. That'll sit in it for a year, pop off, and tell you everywhere that shark's been. But they're about $4,000 a piece. So you have wow. to you know, carefully figure out when, when. Wait, so that, that's like a self-releasing tag? It is a self-releasing tag. And you can actually program it. So if you want, you can program it for a week because you're doing a certain study or two weeks. And they have these little galvanic uh, fasteners that actually deteriorate at a certain pace in salt water. They're super accurate. So you literally can have one that's for a year, and after a year, it'll pop, it'll go to the surface, float, and it's got a wire. I have one here, and it will then use that. Oh, that's one of them right there. That's just one of them. Holy cow. That thing's four grand? Four grand. You got to be kidding me. No. Doesn't Whoa. look like much, does it? And like, where do you get who inv- who makes these? Like, you can't go to the shark store and just pick these up. <laughs> no, yeah, no, I wish. Yeah, the shark is. Then we'd have price competition, right? <laughs> right. No, unfortunately, there's a couple of main. You know, wildlife computers, Vemco, there's just a couple of companies and they specialize and in that. Specialize, but it's invaluable because this comes up and then, you know, we're acoustic tag, right? Yeah. It has to go by a receiver. Right. Um, spot tag has to break the surface. This one, we don't need anything for an entire year. Then it pops, it goes to the surface. When it hits the surface, this wire is exposed and starts transmitting all the data to the Argo satellite system. And then from the Argo satellite system down into our computers. That's amazing. That's really cool. Yeah. That's super wow. cool. And you can reconstruct everything that happened with that truck. Uh, four grand, if you get it back, you get $2,000 credit towards your next one. Really? Oh, right. So if one of these is on a beach in Florida, it's all hands on deck. And um, I assume, I can't see, but I would say there's a little label on it or something. If found, return to maybe. Like, exactly. Kind of like your keychain. Yeah, same yeah. thing. Yeah. Wow. So, but, but if it hits the beach, we'll know because it still tells us where it is. And then we might get colleagues or people to say, hey, if Make you can a, get on and yeah. find this, you know, we'll send you a sweatshirt, t shirt. I feel like, like I've seen something like that in your end table drawer, Mark. Uh, it's <laughs> it's uh, That was uh, the remote control for the oh. new TV. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
yeah. Close though. Well, luckily no one can see this. Well, we'll, yeah. we'll put a picture up. I think we're gonna now. Yeah, we have to put a joke. picture up. It's a have to do. Um, we are. God, man, this is so enlightening and interesting. Um, I could talk sharks for days, but we are kind of getting close, and we don't have to wrap it up right this second. Uh, do we have any? Uh, is there anything we missed that we should have asked you? Uh, asked you that we should have asked you yep. that you want people to know? Well, a um, couple of things. I think relative to Block Island, you know, there's that seal population that is north, right by the North Rip. And I was on the, with the folks at Mystic Aquarium uh, this week. And you work closely with Mystic Aquarium? I do. Oh, cool. Yeah. So um, they are. They estimate there's 50 to 100 gray seals there. And the question I'm asking myself and we're asking ourselves at the Atlantic Shark Institute is at what size would a white shark decide to stick around, right? We know that they all run up to Cape Cod because there's tens of thousands of seals up there. But if a white shark would swim around Block Island and say, hey, there's some seals, at what number? Would a white shark say it is worth my time and it's worth my energy and I can sustain myself staying at Block Island all summer? And that's not happening today, as I said earlier, right? Okay. They come and they go. So that's a question where I'm very curious about because we can and there are ways you can tag seals with acoustic technology and see what the seals are doing around Block Island. So we're going to talk a lot more about that with the aquarium over the course of the coming months because they know an awful lot about the seals when there's a seal uh, stranding or there's a seal entanglement, there are people at Block that work with them. So we're going to start working together. I'm going to share my white shark data with them on when the sharks are coming through. I'm going to share my acoustic, you know, the, the data that we get through our acoustic receivers. And they're actually going to be working with some folks, I understand, I think on Long Island that are doing some tagging. So there might be something coming on a collaboration relative to, hey, maybe we can tag some of these seals to see what they're doing. Yeah. We can tag some of these white sharks and see if we're getting any interactivity that would show them in the same place at the same time because they're both tagged. Huh. But, and but, so you so you're not one of those fish data snobs that won't share your data with other people is what we're saying. Like we share with earlier. everybody. That's good. Why would why would knowledge is power? Knowledge is power. That's why don't right. Why do the other fish people not want to share their data? You pride, know pride. Is it ego? Is that it? It's ego. It is. It's right? always I feel like ego. it's my data. Yeah. Get your own. Mm. Get your own data. Yeah. Uh, you know what's funny? <laughs> I learned that over the years here in this in this marketplace. This is no different than any other marketplace. No. You know we have two people doing ten people pick a number doing micro shark research or white shark whatever there's not one person so of course who gets to publish the paper ah big big who got the publishable paper you know if you say hey john let's write a paper that there are mako sharks in rhode island waters no one's gonna publish that paper because it's nothing new nothing interesting about it however you want to start talking about certain things going on in rhode island waters with certain species like for example the white sharks were tagging these young of the year and these juveniles I, as we add more receivers, we did have a juvenile show up twice in our array. Great white shark, right? A okay. white shark. They're, technically, they're a white shark. Everyone calls them great white. So we did have one show up twice. So there's a question that then it starts to beg, which is it's the only shark that's shown up more than one time on one day. And this one actually left, went to New Jersey, came back and back to Block Island. So it starts to beg the question, might there be residency of these young of the year or these juvenile white sharks at Block Island. We know there's no residency for the sub-adults and adults because we've seen them come and go, and we've got tens of them now. None of them have stuck around. However, might there be residency for smaller ones? So that would be something that would be new, would be interesting, that we might determine 
as part of this. So well, those are the things that we kind of can continue to explore. Well, and I'm assuming, so I, in my opinion, after living on Block Island, it seems like uh, as of late, give or take decade, I've seen seals, more seals and staying longer. Like they used to come and go. Yes. And they now did. they've, I think seals have taken up residency on the island. They y- have. Y- year round. Yeah. yeah. And that started in 2019. So I'm, oh, so only that long yeah, It's only ago. been three. Okay. So- I have, I just, now I'm no scientist, but I, you know, I, I like to connect some dots every now and then and every now. So I'm just going to throw this out there. Take it or leave it. You said that, that a lot of sharks, you know, go come to block. go back to New Jersey, come back to block. We're noticing that with humans <laughs> yeah. as well. And they'll mm-hmm. take up residence too. Do you think there's a correlation between people <laughs> from New Jersey that, are coming to Block Island and the sharks. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. I see it in Connecticut, yeah. Rhode Island, yeah. you know, and, and you know what? There's a lot of shore down in Jersey. It's a nice place to be. So I don't know if How I. How do you tell a shark that's coming from more jewelry? <laughs> uh, usually. Driving a, a Camaro? Yeah. Earring. Earring. Yeah. Yeah. Left, earring. yeah one earring. Okay. Yeah. yeah it makes yeah, sense. One earring. Maybe we should start tagging some tourists. Uh, hey, I'm all. Can we you know, wait yeah. for. Well, yeah. Based let's on, use the $400 ones, though. And not yeah. The $4, no, not the $4,000 Although those ones would might fit better. We wouldn't have to, like, use All right. All right. Sorry. So what I was going to say was, in everything, there's a learning curve. So I'm wondering if now the sharks, you know, this is what I'm wondering is if three years now and the seals have stuck around year round. Yeah. Maybe it's just taken a little while for the sharks to catch on to that, and that's where you're. That's what you're talking about, basically. That's what I'm talking about. Maybe we're trying to figure out if they're just learning that there's a year round food source now in this location. Correct. Okay. And, and, and that's why it's fun in the sense that it never ends, right? As soon as you, you say, well, wait a second, what is that shark doing there? You know, like, I'll, uh, it, so when you think about that question, which is, you know, there weren't a ton of seals on the Cape 30 years ago. You know, it's been yeah. a miraculous recovery process. Well, at some point, the white sharks took notice and said, you know what, this is a place for me to spend some time. I can actually come up here and feed on these highly nutritious Wonderful opportunity for me. I'm just cruising a beach at two, three miles an hour knots, you know, and I know where I'm going. And, and Greg has found that these sharks come back every year to these very same locations. And some of them work the beach between this point and this point because they know how to work the troughs we talked about yep, earlier yep. and the drop offs. They're creatures of habit and they don't want to expend an ounce more of energy than they need to to continue to survive and to grow and to feel healthy. So it's a big part of the equation. Ener- energy expended on. That's why if the end of the world comes, I'm eating bugs because you know, yeah, you yeah they're gonna be, yeah. flip over a log Flash and you got yourself 500 calories. You sure. know, yeah, yeah. Right. where where on the Cape are they? Is it in like Nosset or Tro? They are all along the Cape, all along the and Cape, and around inside of Cape Cod Bay, and inside the bay as well. Yeah, wow. the white sharks okay. are everywhere, and yeah. they are in big numbers. Greg has over a hundred acoustic receivers out. And they line the entire, so you can track these sharks and he knows where everybody's going wow. and what they're doing. Of course, the data, you pull it, these these uh, receivers actually retain the data and the information in them, and then we pull it and we extract it. There is now a new version, which is a live acoustic receiver, so that it can go right to a smartphone and say, we have a white shark here in the surf or at the beach. Massachusetts has five deployed, but they've got a shark problem in their beaches. Um we don't have that issue in Rhode Island today. Um, so for us, our receivers all in cost about $3,500 per receiver. That receiver is closer to fifteen, sixteen thousand dollars $16,000. So there's no reason to spend five, six times the cost for what purpose? To say yeah. it's here right now. Yeah. Where we're detecting them, they're not at the beaches. There's not a concern for that. But that could, that could come someday. But yeah. today we don't have it. Right, right. And that's why in not, you know... 
in, in at the risk of repeating myself, what's neat is every single time you you know you find something, suddenly you say like, well, wait a second. But if that's true, like for the first time, we this past summer we were doing the white shark research off Montauk, and we started bumping into black tip sharks. Okay, that was weird. Super weird because they are a Florida shark, and they've been. And the literature says their northern range is the Carolinas. Well, not the case because we have a partner who's tagging them in Florida, Stephen Majera from Florida Atlantic University. And now we've seen them in Montauk. So what we do, we got in touch with Stephen. And we said, Stephen, we would love to work with you on this. So he's sending us tags. And this summer, we're going to be affixing, they call them... um, Spot tags, and we're going to be affixing spot tags to these sharks because he's got them on their northern migration. But of course, by the time they get up here, there's none of them. You know, they either get eaten or the tags or whatever. But and now we want to start tagging in numbers at Montauk as they head south. Okay. To fill in a bunch of those gaps. Wow. So what are they doing here? Why are they here? How many are there? Again, it's part of the warming water temperatures. And for biologists that have been at this a long time, they're stunned. Wow. They say, Are you kidding me? What is a black tip doing here? So we hope to find out why. But they're certainly going to compete for the same fish other fish are competing for. And this is where the, the, the entire ecosystem suddenly has challenges and things that are dealing with every day. Hey, follow the food. Follow That's the food. What That's doing, my motto. You know? I usually yeah. do that. Very important work you're doing. Thanks, John. And uh, My pleasure. Thanks for enlightening. Oh, quickly. Uh, sorry. Why? It's a, the technical, it's a white shark. It's not a great white shark. Correct. So where did the great come from? Uh, we think it was, uh, was it Don Bosquet or something. Have you seen that cartoon? The yeah. cartoonist that says... Decent white shark, yeah, and it's he draws it not so well, and then it's pretty good white shark, and then it's great white shark. <laughs> That's where uh, we think it came from him. But no, I don't know why. And of course, it's funny because if you talk in in science, you say white shark, and then you talk to the public, you say great white shark, right, right. And uh, and sometimes they say is a white shark a great white shark, and it depends what form you're in because you don't want to look like right. you're, you know, yeah. Well, I know now I'm never going to say great white shark again because I want to oh, be no. like woke white it, oh, yeah. shark. Yeah. Plus, it's kind of racist. Oh no, it's yeah. still racist. It's still a white shark. Well, yeah, well you got black tip shark. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. Um, John, again, thank you. This has been so much fun. Oh, thank you. Um, and we like to do one thing before we let our guests go. If you're mm. game for it, we do it. It's called the lightning round. Okay. And we're just going to ask you a bunch of silly questions, and you just the first thing that comes to your mind. You, you up for it? I didn't prepare for this, but There's yeah, no way the to point. prepare. There's no that's way. the idea. Oh, it's good. just okay. silly, yeah. silly fun. Right, silly go. fun. Yeah, all right. Okay. You wanna, okay. Uh, what was your favorite childhood TV show? Gilligan's Island. What does the acronym SCUBA stand for? Self-contained underwater breathing apparatus. Nailed it. Nailed it, obviously. If you had a pet shark, what would you name it? Jimmy. Hmm. What's your favorite month of the year? September. Do you collect anything? Besides data on sharks. <laughs> yes, I collect um, uh, when I hunt um, and I and I do things like that. I often will like get a mount done or something of, you know, a deer or an elk or something. Makes sense. Have you ever eaten mako shark? I have. Um, and do you enjoy speaking in front of an audience? I do. Hey, yeah, if, good, I, yeah. If, if I can educate them and they enjoy it. Matter of fact, I'm going to be speaking at the Block Island Maritime Institute in August. Oh, yeah. We nice. love Bimmy. Yeah, great. Yeah, yeah. We'll come see you. Well, they you told me, they just sent me an email and said last year the shark one was the most widely attended yep. and uh, the People most popular love one. sharks. We're all fascinated by sharks. They just said, hey, can you come back? Yeah. And you're the first to know because I didn't respond to his email yet. I got it yesterday. <laughs> Breaking news. But I'm going to pick August 16th and see if it's still available. Cool. Tuesday, August 16th. All right. I actually have one last bonus follow-up lightning round question. All right, hit me. Are we going to need a bigger boat? <laughs> 
hopefully not in my lifetime. <laughs> Great answer. Amazing. Good answer. All right. John Dodd, the Atlantic Chardonnay. Char- oh my God. You, you what got is wrong this. with me? You got this. John Dodd, the Atlantic Shark Institute. John, thanks again so much. Oh, my pleasure. This has been great, guys. Yeah, and thank you, listeners, for listening to our uh, craziness once again this week. And uh, if you want to reach out, comment, or ask any questions, send us anything you want at twoguysonbi at gmail.com. And don't forget to follow us on all of our social media outlets, whether it's Facebook, Instagram, yada, yada, yada. And uh, most importantly, tell your friends about the podcast. Uh, Tell them how much you love it and uh, click that subscribe button. Yep, thanks again, and uh, see you next week. Yeah, I'll see you next week. All right. Bye-bye. Hey, Rich. Yeah? Uh, I just was going to head down to uh, the Arts and Crafts Supply Store and get some sequins and, uh, you know, uh, super glue for the bathing suit. We're still doing that, right? Yeah, we should. Yellow sequins. And the rope, because I'm going to drag you behind me as I swim, right? Yeah. You're just going to lay on your back and float along. Yeah, yeah, I still have the harness. Yeah. When I say thrash, you thrash. Okay. Okay, perfect. Cool. What shall we do with the sailor? What shall we do with the sailor? What shall we do?